Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with my good friend and fellow host, Joe Hilliard. And we, we love having a third person in the room with us to talk movies and beer. And this is somebody who we had a lot of fun with when she came and talked Bottoms with us. That's right. Just a few weeks back. Uh, one, still, I think, on target to be one of my favorite films of the year. It's, it's kind of staying interesting, in, the, in the top for me. Interesting. But, yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. But uh, n- nonetheless, I'll hand it over to you, Meredith. Yeah, I'm Meredith. And <laughs> I'm hoping to talk about The Killer and Dog... Bites. Man bites dog. Man bites. Oh my I always God. want to say it backwards. Man, Man bites, bites dog. dog. It was the second time I think on Patreon we asked our Patreon users to help us pick that second movie. So that's what we what came does up say with. About our Patreon I know. Users. I was I'm, like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> Meredith. <laughs> Believe me. Oh, my God. Become part of the crew of Misfits, I guess, at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Believe, I mean, we'll, we, but we will get there. Yes, right. Before we get anywhere, though. God, we, we need to steal our nerves I with maybe a I sweet elixir. Need, I need beer in my glass. I was in Houston a couple of months ago. I've been sitting on these for a while because they're, it's a lager, which means that it's okay if it sits in the closet for a little while. Yeah. But it's now that El Horror October is out. We don't, we're not mandatorily doing horror-themed beers. I'm pulling some of these older ones out. The can struck me. I don't know much about this brewery. It's it's our first time to visit them. Stesty, out of Love Lady, Texas. I had to look it up. It's about two hours north of Houston. A little more research. It's a population of 650 <laughs> in a as that they is re- a, a small small town. Yeah, as they describe it on their website, in the single blinking light town of Love Lady, Texas. But this is a blueberry lager. Uh, and there's a ton of interesting information on the can. They've got Buddha as a logo. Enjoy the happiness. And they also have on their can, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy, a phrase attributed to Ben Franklin. Uh, anyway, they went over the they're, owners. They're really pulling in there, going for Czech style. Czech yeah. So they got like the Buddha, Czech, they got the Buddhism. Founding fathers. They got the founding fathers. They have Stesty, it's which I guess. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, should we be happy? Is this what's happening when we do like a good cultural bays? I hope there's not like a lot of uh, inadvertent appropriation going on there. Uh, I hope I, these are hard. I feel okay so far. Good. Our blueberry <laughs> lager. Blueberry lager is brewed using Pilsner and Munich malts, a balance of bittering and aromatic hops, blueberries, and extended cold fermentation, which helps qualify it as that lager. Yeah, right. So right. blueberries, we like. Lager, I know David is Generally, one of your favorites. The, so. You know, it's funny because I feel nice. like we, we've we definitely had a few blueberry beers on the podcast over the years. Um, blueberry stouts, I feel like that was kind of a thing for a while. A lot of people were putting blueberry into some of the heavier imperial stouts, yeah. like those dessert uh, stouts, pastry right. stouts. I, I feel like we've gotten it with some of the lighter beers. I know, you know, Jester King, obviously, with their fruited sours and other places like that. But this is uh, interesting to approach this lager, kind of a lighter beer with the blueberry uh, incorporation. I'm. I go into our spreadsheet where I keep track yeah. of all the beers that we drank, and I type in blueberry, and ten results come up. Wow. Blueberry crumble from Ingenious, yeah. brains, blueberry and raspberry <laughs> from Drecker. Pulpa Gogo, Blueberry Blackberry Cobbler, this, cobbler this from movies, White Elm. Yeah. So I could go on and on, but we're going to add another blueberry to the list. Okay, I like this one. Well, this is not a chunky, uh, you know, smoothie sour. This is not uh, even a sour. 
but I'm definitely getting blueberry right on the nose. As soon as you pour it into the yeah. glass, mm -hmm. I am smelling the blueberry, but it doesn't smell like it's going to be overpoweringly sweet like you sometimes get with like those dessert stouts that I was talking about. Um, th this one... I'm really looking forward to. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. And there's no good tie-in to our movie, but I was really excited to go see this. Well, you know, David Fincher, we've talked David Fincher on the podcast before. Uh, we, we did Mank mm -hmm. when Mank came out on Netflix just a couple of years ago. This yeah. is another production with Netflix. Um, his second feature, although he did work on the... Is it a Manhunter series, which I never watched, uh -uh. or Mindhunter? I don't know. But, but nonetheless, David Fincher, we've just talked about in the past few weeks. What what prompted our conversation about ranking David Fincher I don't films? Remember. But it, we did get around to a lot of us. Had, oh, Social Network. Yes, we right. just recently oh, did, did that. Social that Network. Yeah. that's right. I didn't, I didn't like that one. <laughs> really? Really? I we really just rewatched that. And I, you liked it. I did. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I really like the score for it, too. I will say, though, that my students did a scene from it, and it was actually really, really good. Like, in class, I teach Ooh, I bet they could the have camera, fun with that. If and you, they, if you they did really, a great job with it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, maybe I need to rewatch this. I saw The but Killer. I remember when I first watched it, not liking it very much. Sorry. I saw The Killer with a uh, guest, Roland Alanese. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we were talking Fincher on the way to the theater, and he mm -hmm. said, my top two, and I agree with him, our social network and Zodiac. Okay. Zodiac, a film we have not discussed on the show, which was my choice for yeah. the pairing today, but we went a different direction. Yeah, and I think, honestly, that probably would have been what I would have backed, uh, ultimately, because that's one that I would love to revisit. And I, and right. I think Is that the serial killer one? Yes. yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Based the on Zodiac the, killer, exactly. San Francisco. Yep. Okay. Jake Gyllenhaal. I was just about to ask. Okay. Yep, yep. So, I'm thinking of the right movie, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's worth... Well, we'll have you back. It's <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll David Fincher, 2023, um, his latest film is a... I'd say modest scale Fincher film in some ways. It's a neo-noir with a central character named in the title, The Killer, played by Michael Fassbender, who we meet as an assassin patiently awaiting a kill that he's about to try to make. The kill goes wrong. He finds himself first trying to return home, but realizing he's going to have to go down the go up the chain, I guess, to uh, take out the people who would want him to be snuffed out for not having effectively completed his mission uh, at the beginning of the film. Right. right. So it be becomes this journey where you see this character going on this journey of vengeance of sorts, but That's a practical right. vengeance in that he has to kill the chain in order to not be pursued for the rest of his life is what he assumes. Right. And uh, right. the stakes ramp up for him because uh, after the failed assassination attempt that he tries to do he goes home as, right. as it's called it's called the hideout in the Dominican, chapter court right? mm -hmm. yeah and i guess a woman who we learn i didn't learn immediately is his girlfriend i think so okay mm -hmm. uh was That's what I took, yeah. some assassins had come for him yeah uh before he got there oh. and put her in the hospital which right. means that he's even angrier Right. Yeah, which is so interesting because it's juxtaposed to the very beginning where he talks about empathy being weakness yeah. and not being kind of emotionally drawn into things. And he has a watch. Am I allowed to do spoilers? We yeah, oh, they we're talking I'm about this whole We okay. prefer them. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and he's got the watch that, that shows his heart rate, heart rate and yeah. he has to be below 60 to take the shot. Yeah. And of course, we find out he's not, and then he blows it, and we're <laughs> like, oh my God, there might be something to this, right? Yeah. But, but it's such a juxtaposition to then him coming home and you can tell is visibly upset that yeah. this woman 
is in the yeah, hospital. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I know you're, you're right. I think there is definitely there's a counterpoint or a contrapuntal element to mm-hmm. the voiceover that we're getting throughout this film. It becomes almost like sort of cyclical, repetitious, mm-hmm. right? And that he has certain mantras that he's repeating constantly about, you know, don't yeah. don't react, anticipate. I don't know. He has anticipate, these, don't, don't improvise. improvise. Anticipate, yeah. don't improvise. Which of course I my ears perked up. I was like improvise, and then of course we see him later improvise. Having improvise, right? Because he goes into that big guy's house yeah. who's like the muscle who beat up his Which, girlfriend, wife, whoever. I feel like we. I need to talk about this film at, at a few different levels in the sense that <laughs> and how it executes on just a basic kind of neo-noir. It's really interesting to see David Fincher take on what I think of as a fairly standard kind of genre film and really boil it down to its essentials. And he really drags out that beginning in a way that I he wasn't does. expecting him to do. Like, that's a tough sell. I feel yes. like there's a lot of people in the audience who wouldn't want to hang for, it's almost like 15, 20 yeah, minutes where almost nothing is time. happening. Except him sitting in that. Observing very small things. Watching, going through his day office building across the street from the and mark. talking about not only his habitual kind of like... Regiment. Regiment, yeah. but like how his ideal would be. Yeah. And then of course we see his ideal crumble, but <laughs> Right. But it's 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 interesting because so much in this film, you know, is about like visualizing what that goal or mission is and how it almost never actually goes the way it is, but like your ability to kind of work through there's a very practical level to watch this movie is like this is a professional, like a, a worker, somebody who's chosen a certain kind of profession and the way that he sees it through and always coming up to these unanticipated obstacles and having to pivot in in the last moment and from that standpoint it's like as much as any assassin film can be it's a relatable thing in terms of it's like how somebody does their work and so how somebody would approach their work and be able to get it done but then obviously given the nature of his work and given the emotional dimensions of it and how that becomes that's a big part of what he's talking about is the, the don't have empathy don't you know we see several never times yield an advantage right fight only the battle you're paid to fight ask yourself what's in it for me yes he's got these yes. mantras that we hear in voiceover throughout the film concentrated in that first 15 minute scene where he's I think we pick up some exposition on a telephone call to his employer yeah he- Hodges Hedges right yeah. and it's like I've been here for five days yeah. waiting for the mark to show up across the street from me where I'll take him out from the office building that I've camped out in. But in that meantime, it's uh, he says at the very beginning, if you are not patient, a lot of this job is just waiting. Yeah. This might not be the work for you. And we see in his waiting, careful analysis of every calorie he consumes, yeah. yoga to mm-hmm. keep himself yeah. fit yeah. and agile. There the, was this sort of a, did, it, did either of you get like an American Psycho yes. uh, vibe? Like, you know, that I know that's much more compressed and, and yeah. it, but like the daily regimen kind of thing. It, I felt very similar with it. And also like these two guys, right? And he was Bale talking and, about the uh, protein and he like yes. doesn't eat the, the the, the right. bun you of see the him McDonald's. discard the yeah. Yeah. McDonald's a great place to get yeah. 10 grams of easy protein <laughs> yeah. along with 140 million other people you know and 15,000 locations in France or whatever <laughs> yeah he talks about his relationship wow. with emotion overtly mm-hmm. and then as we've all kind of alluded to throughout the film you see him at odds with his very own mantra he keeps repeating the mantra and then keeps breaking these mantras out of necessity sometimes because now i'm being attacked by a person and i'm gonna have to get into a hand-to-hand combat i want to start 
with the opening credit sequence. Mm. Okay. I leaned over to Roland and said, this is like a De Palma opening credit <laughs> sequence if De Palma did it right. It is so cool. <laughs> it is so short. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it was, I did like that. But actually. it just gets you into, I, I mean, it, it, how do you even describe it? It's this mosaicing of all the different ways that a killer might kill somebody. Yeah. Yes. A rifle, a, yeah. a, a garrote, a garret. What do you call it garret. when you a garret? What's that? Yeah, uh, the wire that you'd kill somebody with, yeah. strangling them it, again and again, almost poisoning, over and over and over. And it was so it gets you right into the speed of the film, but then hits you over the head with this not monotonous because I was never bored. No, but how it's but made ve- of it all, very how, methodical though. You know, it's deliberately being like dragged out. You know, you're, you're sitting there with this guy. You're supposed to feel that kind of impatience, mm-hmm. the waiting that he's feeling yeah. yeah and then the mark does indeed show up and the shot goes wrong because he has uh d- stick to the plan don't <laughs> improvise we don't quite get to where we know for sure but she certainly dressed accordingly yeah, yeah. i assumed a prostitute yeah, yeah right okay. yeah. paid for her services i would just, yes. you know and then this like, less than him we've been waiting and waiting and now we see the the mark in the crosshairs yes and it, he's behind a wall and he's not in sure and now he's finally on the couch and he gets his pulse down to where it's supposed to be. He pulls the trigger right when the prostitute jumps in front of yeah. the bullet. Mm-hmm. You know, something he didn't anticipate. Right. And that goes us careening into the action of the film. What happens when a, when a great assassination great goes street, wrong? Great uh, street, you know, escape on yes. the moped or what, you know, that scooter that he's uh, riding there. I get, it's small bike. That was know. one of my favorite parts because you see him kind of get rid of all the evidence. Yeah. Like yeah, dumping how it, he but, does it. Yeah, and he yeah. dumps the thing in the garbage. Yeah. And then he does the other one down the... The sewer. The yeah, sewer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he stops then, at the, is it a gas station or whatever, yes. to like go in the bathroom and shave and like uh-huh. do his, you know. And, do, he, and he always, you'll notice this in the movie, he always disinfects the sink yes. as soon as he's yeah, done. Yeah. He pulls out this little bottle of, you're assuming like bleach Sanitizer, and water or bleach, something yeah. and bleaches out yeah, the, the entire yeah. sink, which I thought, oh, that's that's an interesting little methodical tick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's very deliberate. Again, like he's a professional and, mm-hmm. it, you know, professional. He even says, I'm not the best at it. No, but, but he, I'm effective because. But then he of does these. talk about that Ted Williams, right? Like had this batting average, what three forty four for his career. But the killer is a thousand for his career. You know, like he's gotten every one. You're right. He does. It, he has an interesting balance of humility and like. But I'm a professional. I do this thing. I, I anticipate these things. I get everything done. We find him in his storage unit. And in his storage unit, he's got drawers and drawers. I, of- I kind of love those kind of scenes in films where, like, they show up to the facility. You know, like whether it's the Bat Cave or a mm-hmm. a rental space that they've just tricked out. So that I've it's- seen these yeah. shows where people don't make the payments on their <laughs> yes! storage units. <laughs> that was a great they break line. the lock and open it up if they ever found mine. While he's <laughs> going through imagine? like these um pre-sealed, not Ziploc that bags that we buy at the store moments, for yeah. sandwiches, yeah. but like these uh, industrial strength Ziploc bags that each have a gun and cash and a passport. A new mm-hmm. passport. Where he could right. just grab them. He, uh, the, the idea of him changing out license plates, the idea yeah. that as he goes around the world on this quest, he's always got a different name and those names become more and more silly. <laughs> They're all, they are all sitcom. sitcom. Well, I was going to say Felix George Unger. Jefferson, Did Felix anybody Unger, get Luke Grant. Yeah. Madison, Luke Grant. Because that was like the odd couple. Howard the Cunningham, person in me was Tom like, Bosley what? from Happy yes. Days. I, no, they were all. I was I 
writing didn't catch them. that it was yeah. all of them, yeah. but I yeah, caught yeah, yeah. the first one, which well, they was get, Felix they get Unger, very obvious. Well, this, and I was like, what? There's this dark humor to this film that it was interesting because of the way it opened up. It got me so, I mean, there's almost, like I said, like there's this impatient kind of, but also kind of meditative where I'm like just zoning out, like what is going on? Is anything going to happen in this film? How long is he going to drag this out? And then once the action actually starts and I kind of locked into it, I kind of appreciated more the commentary, which is interesting because then reflecting back, I wasn't picking up the irony of a lot of what he was saying in that first part of it. Like I was taking it more earnestly. I was taking it more as these are personal mantras that he has that he holds to. And as the film went on, the irony in that and like how Mm -hmm. much every even though he was saying these things, they never matched up with the reality that became more apparent and the comedy of things like, you know, using these sitcom character names (laughs) and the fight in the house is brutal. But yeah. it's funny because they're because of the things they're grabbing and the stuff that right. I thought he was going to grade him with that cheese grater. I was really I know. worried. And then when he throws it, I was I I, I totally laughed. <laughs> yeah, I no, was I was I was comic. ready. I'm like, oh, thank you. God. Well, he's weaponless. Yes. Yeah, and he's being shot at. So mm-hmm. he reaches up. He's he's hiding on the ground behind, behind an, an island, in a island kitchen. in a kitchen. Yeah. He reaches up into a drawer, pulls the first thing out with a handle. It's a cheese grater, <laughs> and he uses it rather to. Throw it away to create a distraction. Is that dog gonna be? (laughs) That was funny. I like. There's a pit bull, and he goes to the grocery store, and we see him buy Sudafed and Nyquil and and raw meat. And what was the forty? Uh, he got a 40 ounce oh, of yeah. old English and hundreds. Oh, never... that's what he uses oh, that to was the, the, Molotov the Molotov cocktail, cocktail to burn right. the house down. Oh, okay. yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. all comes back. Around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, look, there's a part of the film I'd like to discuss. Okay. I, I don't think that you're eager to, and it's the quality and strength of the soundtrack. Oh, oh, <laughs> you're right. You're because right. this you're guy right. listens to nothing but the Smiths. Me. I, no, uh, you. Fassbender. Oh, yeah. In the yes, film, right. he's got yeah, his yeah. earphones in. Yeah. I find that music is a way to focus. It brings yeah, me in. And yeah. he puts his headphones in. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's all Smiths. It's a, the first Smith song. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's a, it was yeah. like a deeper cut. I can't remember the song, that yeah. first one. But then the sound design of, you know, there's only a couple ways to do that. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear the music in his head or right. you're going to hear the tinny electronic, right. you know, uh, tiny little bit that you'd hear when your kid's wearing their headphones. And it switches back and forth based yeah. on the POV. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And then every single song he listened to, and there were eight, I don't know, yeah. seven or nine songs, yeah. were all the Smiths. And we just had a conversation about <laughs> dis- dissecting the art from the artists. And I know Morrissey is not the best figure any longer. I still love the Smiths. I'm glad you do. I loved I'm glad, it. And I'm I, glad I think it was an age appropriate. An age-appropriate, globe-trotting dude would listen to the music from his high school, and I believe that the killer listened to the Smiths back in 1988 or whenever he graduated. I I would believe it. It doesn't hurt me from a character believability standpoint, let let me be uh, frank. But it does hurt me from a, of all the bands I had to pick, it's like one of the few. I like so much music, and I just get like certain hang-ups about, and of all the college... (laughs) 
of rock that they could have picked. The Smiths. Like, R.E.M., that would have been a great choice. I could listen to R.E.M. for oh, a whole soundtrack true. easily. And it would have worked maybe just as well. Maybe. But, uh, it, but I'm glad you got The Smiths. Oh. And I've seen multiple friends of mine post about how they were happy about how much The Smiths got used when they saw the film. So, believe me, I'm glad that The Smiths fans get that and it didn't kill the movie for If you want to stick around for a little while afterward, now we can throw some vinyl on. I've got <laughs> Ask. I've got Strange Ways Here We Come. Whatever. Oh. Girlfriend in a Coma in the movie. I've got it on vinyl right and now. And I really do. I, I do like, uh, you know, How Soon Is Now. That That is an undeniable song. But And how, and it zoomed in oh, into yeah. his eyeball looking he, through the scope. I mean, beautiful. they use the music really nicely. I mean, David Fincher is a great filmmaker. So on a, on a technical <laughs> level, I feel like this film is just it's, perfectly executed and even a little bit challenging, but in a way that I think befits if you're going to do a genre film like this, at least make some commentary. Like, give me some reason to think that you're like doing something interesting with it. And I like that he extends the beginning the way he does, that he really has it sort of tightly focused around these specific kills that he's got to do, like mm-hmm. going city to city. Um, got to talk about the Tilda Swinton scene. All the technology oh, stuff I love. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. I think the performances are great. And I think that scene is one of the, the probably the climax of the film in a certain sense in that th- what gets revealed there, I think, or, or what gets shared there mm-hmm. yeah. is maybe some of the most important. It's the only time you're really getting like outside perspective on him and what and mm-hmm. what he's doing other than what you're hearing in his head maybe the, the when he confronts over. the lawyer uh a little bit a little, a little bit. bit yeah you get a taste there and then you get more with her it turns out she's the she, uppity up that went and uh, to his home right with that thug to kill him and right. ended up injuring the, the girlfriend right well and now she says i didn't want to and but I didn't it, like his happens. methods. Yeah, the the yeah. gentleman who I was with used some methods I didn't really appreciate. Yeah. Right. They sit there with that slow scene of the whiskey yeah. flight showing up. Yeah. And I yeah. go to this fancy restaurant. I get all these amused bouges from yeah. the chef. Yeah. And he's just sitting there silent. He, I don't think he moves. I literally mm-hmm. don't think he moves. He says one thing at the end of one of her sentences right. and that's it. Right. And, and he does take that last drink. When he takes yeah. that last drink, I figured he just got drugged. Because it came from the bottle so, and not yeah. the flight yeah. it doesn't work out. Yeah. No, it, no, it doesn't. But I thought the same thing. Yeah. I thought, oh, did she drug the bottle? But yeah. we never find out. Because and she's always so crackling her. on screen. She's so fun to watch on screen. Oh, yeah. I love Tilda Swinton. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. Great. It was just yeah. a great cast. But an interesting, but very much like, and I heard it described as a cameo um, after reading about it. And okay. I think that's appropriate. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a very important scene in the film, but it really, she just shows up for that scene. That, and, that, and that's pretty much all we get of her. We don't get like throughout the film like a lot of back and forth which is interesting this film really restrains our perspective to pretty much what our character know what the main character knows mm-hmm. right we're not seeing behind the scenes the people trying to pull the levers nope. to get him taken out we just see the effects of it and we see him pursuing them and trying to stop them when we discuss fight club seven zodiac to a lesser degree fincher in the past has made culture-changing films. Mm-hmm. This is not that. No. Uh, this is no. a very straightforward action film. Agreed. Character study. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it is so palatable and so fun. The entire time I was just having fun. Mm-hmm. 
that I think it's a solid, it's almost like a Ocean's Eleven entry into a Soderbergh career where <sighs> I, I think this is a little less entertaining than, say, an Ocean's Agreed. Eleven. Agreed. Only in the sense that Ocean's Eleven was a film that, like, families were going to see together. Sure, yeah. I don't, I don't see this being fair. like, hey, like, it's teenagers. And, yeah. It's a little, it's, and it's so character study driven. I think we, yes. I think that's what, it's getting you into the psyche of a character or at least giving you creating this tension with the psyche of a character this Agreed. Is, this is work i'd never want i would almost think it's more that than than an action film yeah yeah although you get little action mm-hmm. scenes i think people who really oh, love you, you get a great motorcycle chase you motorcycle get a great chase, dog the, chase you the get house a great, fight the yeah. you know there are those moments and i think the tech stuff i think people spy you know kind of you know and how it's all done on amazon there you go there that you go. was great you know which is <laughs> probably exactly what's happening he doesn't right have now. like um the james bond character uh, to give him a watch with a right. He doesn't have an Alfred. He have He's Q. not uh, yeah. Yeah. Q. Yeah, yeah, Q. Right there. He, you go. he just he needs to duplicate a, a card key. Yeah. So he orders a thing on Amazon, yeah. and a little bit of a kind of intrigue is him grabbing the card key to copy and then put it right. back in that yep. in that gym locker room. Yeah, yeah. It's so a little bit of tension, and you yeah. know. Okay, so I I think very well executed film. Yeah. I think dark character study with bursts of action. I think if you like David Finch. If you like stylized action, you're going to like this. You're going to you're going to enjoy it. You're going to get something out of it. Good performance by Michael Fassbender, almost Amazing. always the case, yeah. right? Um, and then supporting performances, certainly Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. I do think, like as I as I sort of start to okay, but why do a film like this? What what kind of story you're telling? I think there's that professional dimension there that I think anybody can tap into. I think when it gets to this disengagement that he has to have with his emotions, I do think it's really kind of pushing at something tougher to deal with that I don't know that the film gives a lot of answers about but I'm Mm-mm. but I'm glad that it had me thinking about it in particular how did you feel about the ending in this film like this is an it, the interesting I think choices are made like he gets to his final the guy who made the call for the hit that he messed up right, right. he gets he gets to the person who ordered the client that. Yeah. the client exactly thinking I need to end this person most likely to you know because th- it's their hit that I messed he up says, do we have a problem <laughs> <laughs> right. like, what? Well, that's it. And he actually and he actually lets him off the hook yeah. and, and kind of takes it. Now, is there a pragmatism there and that this guy, you he could tell just based on having observed him, he thinks like, yeah, this guy is just kind of a corporate, obviously a very elite corporate guy, but he's not interested in like tracking down the killer that he ordered that like he wanted the hit to be done, but he's not worried about you know, the, the aftermath of that necessarily. Or do you think, what what was it there? I mean, was he showing some kind of growth or like, did he have empathy for this guy at the end? Where he, I, I do think that. You think, I think so? that the whole study is a, what are our mantras? We all have them. Uh-huh. I'm going to eat this way today. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nothing but vegetables. <laughs> I'd and never a gallon of water. <laughs> And then through the day, you, oh, shit, I'm eating canes. (laughs) I'm drinking blueberry lager. That has some fruit in it. (laughs) That's why I chose the blueberry lager. Uh, That is the tie-in. He's very health conscious. And then the abandonment of those mantras as you execute your life. And, of course, he has to abandon his mantras here because he is abandoning everything. The idea that he's going on a revenge chase is outside of his own code. Mm -hmm. And as his code devolves because this is in his new task, his mantras are now yeah. in question. Right. He shows empathy in a very strange, ironic way to the secretary of the attorney. Mm-hmm. And she, I yeah. don't, I'm not going to beg you. Yeah, and I think each step is, you're right, yeah. towards his growth. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. then he, he says, uh, she says, I'm, I'm not going to beg you. I just don't want to be 
disappear. Right, yeah. right. Because yeah. the family won't get my life kids insurance. Need the life yeah. So he does yeah. her a favor and just breaks her neck and throws her down the stairs, yeah. and she can be found. And the, yeah. the but he does, of course, take the attorney off, who he kills with a nail gun, three oh. nails to the chest, and he says six or seven minutes, and then the guy uh, dies, and yeah, he's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Like, uh, that was such a great moment. A man, with, like, the, a man with his yeah, build. His, one, his of those, what, one of those uh, early indications like, oh, he he knows a lot, but he's not like, you know, <laughs> again, like some of these films, like the, the killers we see or the or the the technicians we see are like so perfect, precise. That's right. We're repeatedly showed here, you know, like the calculation he makes on the dog, ba- you know, based on the weight isn't that he would presume right. isn't quite right. <laughs> it isn't quite enough to keep the dog down long But enough. I like that he didn't kill the dog. Me too. Absolutely. There's no, so I love confirmation where they that just like kill the animal. And true. I always go, yeah. oh, man, do we really have to kill the man animal? bites dog? Is what you're trying? Uh, oh, that's just in a little while. Right. <laughs> but it was nice, I think, that he just puts the dog to sleep. Yeah. yeah. And then he made another mistake. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the dog comes comes alive again. He comes yeah. awake and then chases him out of the house. Yeah. And then he burns the house down. And Yeah. So this film was uh, produced by Netflix, but is getting a limited theatrical run. Right. I think right. it comes out on Netflix. I want to say November, November 10th. 10th. Yeah. This is a perfect movie for Netflix. Yes. I'm not sure you need to be in the theater for this one, although I'm so glad that I was because I always am glad when I'm in the theater to see something. Yeah, I agree. I think it's what my family would affectionately call a beefer. It's a B movie that's like fun to watch. Yeah. And that's like B is in a grade. Like it's not an A A grade. It's a B. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like we call it a beefer. Like I'm I'm, it's fun to watch, but like you're not going to move mountains to go see it. I'd say. Yes, and and I think in the context of David Fincher's career, I think people who get excited about David Fincher movies, yes, you need to see this one. Mm-hmm. I think if you're somebody who likes uh, genre, if you like film noir, if you like movies about assassins, yeah. mm-hmm. you're going to enjoy this take on it, and you're going to enjoy his style. See, yeah, seeing that if you like character it. studies, this is really yeah. interesting. But I think you're right. Even a general audience, I think this is good enough that you could put it on, even with a pretty mixed group. If you don't lose them in the first 15 mm-hmm. minutes, that's the only thing I question. And I'm curious to watch it at home, actually, just to see, like, how does that play out? Maybe it's easier because I'm okay scrolling my phone, (laughs) which I wasn't doing in the theater, and I'm glad I didn't. But maybe some people that would get them through the first 15, and then by the time the action picks up, they're kind of into it. And that's an audience study because I was never bored once during that first 15 minutes. Never bored once. You didn't feel like it was trying to get you to make you feel like you were kind of waiting. Like He was definitely making you feel that he was waiting Mm -hmm. so that when it's botched... All the waiting was for what? For you to make oh, yeah. a, for you to ultimately make a mistake while you've been talking about how awesome you are with this false humility the entire time. Yeah. For those fifteen minutes. Yeah. I enjoyed this film very, very, very much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like it. I don't think it's gonna be like a no. the top of my year end list. Mm. I don't think it's gonna it mm. doesn't come into the top of my Fincher list. Mm-mm. This is like a solid kind of genre outing, maybe slightly elevated genre outing. Happy mm-hmm. that it'll be on Netflix. And I think Meredith's right. This is the kind of thing like it's going to be on around Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. I could see families, uh, you know, <laughs> in my perverse way. Right. Watching this uh, over the, the break. It's the late night movie you watch after the kids go to bed. That's it. That's it, The it, adults are, hey, yeah. what's, oh, that Fassbender film. Let's is on. watch Oh, it. he's yeah. a hunk. I like that guy. It's a beefer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a beefer. What's a good beefer? <laughs> on Netflix right now, we got one for you. The Killer. Opening credits, Smiths. <laughs> uh, all my points have been made. Hey, all right. Yeah. Uh, all right. One last one oh. small point. Yeah, please. Is I did like that it was realistic in the sense that, like, when he fights the big guy, 
it was tough. Oh yeah, the like, big guy had an he, advantage for oh, sure. Oh yeah, and, and, and the big guy's guy a trained bigger. assassin as well. Yeah. These, these are, and so it's his I house. Really he enjoyed, knows where things are. Yeah, yeah, that like he wasn't some kind of like Superman when it came to like fighting, like so many sure. films do. Because I wasn't sure how they were going to tackle that part of it. Because at the beginning, there's really no violence. I mean, he shoots a gun, but he's not physical. Right. And then when he got with that guy, I thought we're going to see if he's like superhuman, Hand amazing, or whatever. But it was totally realistic, and I, I kind of appreciate right. they did a that. good job balancing it. Yeah. I mean, he's tough enough to hold his own yeah. and ultimately overcome. Yes. But he takes a lot of hits. Yes. And and, and he kind of hurts afterwards. Yes. Like, you see him kind of walking beat funny. Up. He looks and beat up. He's got a cut lip. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I just, I appreciated that. Well, Joe, I appreciated you bringing uh, this Stesty beer, my first Stesty beer from mm-hmm. Love Lady Texas, which I really am intrigued just by the can art, the, the description. I, I feel like this is the kind of place that I just need to make the effort to next time I'm traveling north. Next up time you're near Lufkin. Next time in your Palestine, Texas. Just there you go. Drop on into drop in. in Love Lady, Texas, a town in Texas. I did not know. And I know there's at least one beer there that I would enjoy drinking as long as they had some of this blueberry lager on tap. You're I've given it a thumbs I've up. been enjoying this. I mean, I like it. I'm not a fruit beer guy every day, but I think every once in a while you add some fruit to a beer and it can be done pretty well. I said earlier when I smelled it, it smelled like a nice blueberry aroma. And once I started tasting it, I was really happy. I mean, I, I, I like this. I thought it was not overpowering blueberry. I agree. And it keeps kind of the essence of a lager, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice mix. Yeah. Uh, and every time we're, you, we're drinking out of tulip glasses, you stick your nose deep in that glass, you do mm-hmm. get a hit of blueberry, which is going to trick your mind or train your mind into believing what the beer is going to be. And then the beer comes in and it's not blueberry heavy. You can mm-hmm. certainly yeah. taste it. And it, you're right. Meredith, it's it's keeping all of the things about a logger that I know uh, David minimally enjoys. You're right. <laughs> You're right. This is it. Yeah, no, the, a, a big success uh, here for the, this. Uh, this is a beefer, maybe. The, you know, like yeah. the, this is a a really <laughs> solid choice. Like I said, if I if I do make it to Stesty, I think I'm going to be ordering a blueberry logger at least yeah. to start things off. Well, we're off to a great start. Thanks to our Patreon subscribers, we're going to go into a completely different territory. But while we were talking, I still see some parallels between the oh, two. Oh, for sure. And, and it's I think there's definitely some questions it's going to provoke here that help mm-hmm. us reflect on how we feel about a film like the one we just talked about. So is it a found footage film? Is it a mockumentary? <laughs> we'll discuss it when we come back. A Man Bites Dog here in just a second. Yeah, we need a real, real hefty beer here, folks. I, I don't know. The, the, I'm, I'm really curious to see what, what we talk about in this half of the episode. Um, <laughs> the, our Patreon subscribers have, have really thrown us a heavy one to have to lift here. So th- to get there, let's have this beer from, well, it's a collaboration from Equilibrium. Mm. They're out of New York. We've mm-hmm. had them many times on the show. They've collaborated here with Horace Brewing, which they are out of California, out of Oceanside. Yeah, we, we've had one from them. One Horace. Uh, back in episode 80. Yeah. We, we drank their Horace Aged Ales Skellahawk collaboration with Parrish. Okay. When we did The Invisible Man. Oh, nice. Interesting. All right. Well, th- this is called Acipter, A-C-C-I-P-T. 
I-T-E-R or mm-hmm. Acepter? Did, am I, you think we're hitting that kind of close? One of the two. Um, this is described as an imperial stout with shredded coconut, macaroon coconut, coconut macaroon cookies, oh, no. Thai bananas, and cacao nibs. Is that not, do you not like coconut? I'm allergic. Oh, okay. Let's. Let's not have Meredith drink any yeah, of this so beer. Yeah, so I'm going to let y'all oh drink that one. Oh my gosh. Is it one of those things where like even just having nuts around is going to be no, a... No, no, no. Are you sure? I just can't consume okay. coconut. That's fine. So well, I'm glad I read out I'm all the really ingredients. I'm really glad you did too because I would have wow. had a sip of that and probably oh been really gosh. sick. I'm sorry to hear <laughs> That's that. Right. Wow. Well, we're going to drink Uh-oh. this. Joe has a backup beer. A couple. Well, couple these are options. from the last two episodes. Oh, wow. We nice. did this Cruiser Kolsch all year nice beer from Real Ale with Killers of the Flower Moon. And we did this Tup's Juicy Pale Ale Day of the Dead with uh, Skinnamarink. Uh, Skinnamarink. Yes. So your choice. Okay. Not, uh, leave you empty yeah. glass. Well, well, thank you. So Joe and I are going to have this hefty beer. <laughs> this is our <laughs> first time. Uh, going to enjoy. We've handled uh, milk allergy. Uh, yeah, that's right. But I, we have never had to handle yeah. coconut allergy. No, no, no. We should ask. That we, was, we need a. We <laughs> but need this a, is how we learn. We we talk these things. We out. need a rotating co-host. Um, Interview sheet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Please list all beer allergies. Well, given all the things they add into beer, you really do have to lactose, yeah. coconut, other kinds of nuts. Peanuts, Peanut yeah. often does get put into yeah. it. Yeah. Bananas. So anyway, uh, Joe and I are going to try this. This one is listed as 11% alcohol by volume. So, Joe, we got our work cut out for us. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> you and I together. Um, while you're pouring that, I'll begin the synopsis, but I'm eager. No, let's let's take a whiff of this thing. This is one of these coconut <laughs> oh, imperial wow. stouts. Yeah, ma- I'm sure I it's horrible, Meredith, David. I think Meredith, you would have known anyway. Like putting it, at, you would have smelled coconut. Oh, you would have been, been like, "What's in this?" Yeah, uh, I can't have that. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I smell the Thai bananas. I don't. The funny thing is, I actually like the flavor and mm-hmm. taste oh. of coconut, so I have to be careful because I'll be like, "Oh, there's something really sweet in here that I don't recognize," and then I'll be really sick. Oh, like uh, <laughs> intestinal sick. Yeah. What happens with coconut? Yeah, I just throw up. Oh goodness! Like oh. violently for yeah. hours. Let, let's not do that. Yeah, it's okay. terrible. Let's avoid this. <laughs> well, let's Guys, avoid smells this. Like- fi- <laughs> it smells deep and rich. I haven't taken a sip yet. You know, it's we- Joe. Tell me if you're. On the nose, I'm getting a slight hint of metal. And and maybe it's just in my mind because uh, we, you were talking about a metallic flavor last week. I'm not smelling metal, but this beer is back in black. It pours. Oh, and it, it's so thick and viscous. Like when, when I was pouring yeah. it, it was like syrup. It's like syrup, yeah. 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 Ooh, okay. Really coats the glass. This is, Horace is kind of known for these really heavy beers. I think we mm. Equilibrium does them. So it's like, yeah. I think we're in for it here. Well, Man Bites Dog is a film I had not seen prior had to watching it. Had you heard about it? it? I had. It's, it's one of those, like, and I kind of remembered that as soon as it got recommended. I'm like, oh, this is like one of those films. I feel like when I saw it in the 90s, it was one of those, like, have you ever seen the depravity of, you know, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. a lot of the YouTube. I like watch the out. shock kind of like, yeah. can you sit through this kind of thing? I watched a couple YouTube re- uh, reviews about oh, really? it after I was Kind of like how Clockwork Orange gets yes. put forward by some people. Yeah. I mean, d- dealing with similar territory in, in some ways. Well, it's, let me give you a quick synopsis. It's a 1992 French language, Belgian black comedy crime mockumentary film written and produced and directed by three gentlemen. Who are they really? Yeah. <laughs> Remy Belvaux, André Bonzel, and Benoit Poulvore. That's my French. I don't never take in French. That's as good as it's going to get. You, you, that was an earnest try. Yeah. They are the film's co-editor, cinematographer, and lead actor, respectively. They follow a crew of filmmakers. It's black and white, 16 millimeter, uh, a la Clerks. The film follows a crew of filmmakers following a serial killer 
Ben, who is recording his horrific crimes for a documentary that they are producing. At first, they're kind of um, observers, you know, mm-hmm. you'd expect a documentary crew to be, but they increasingly find themselves caught up in the kind of chaotic violence, mm-hmm. and they eventually become accomplices to Ben. Big time. It oh, yeah. is a comedy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that out loud. I'm going to say that it it it, it whiffs of Spinal Tap here mm. a lot uh, in how absurd what's being shown, but being shown with a straight face uh, th- that you find in Spinal Tap. I think you find a lot of that here. Ben, the lead, is a witty guy. He's charismatic, uh, reading from Wikipedia who holds forth at length about whatever comes to mind, be it the craft of murder, the failings of architecture, his own poetry, classical music. And then all of a sudden he'll just become sadistic and begin, you know, I thought he was a little pompous. Whoever. Oh, absolutely. I thought that was part of the comedy. Yeah. yeah. Like he's a little oh, no, overdone. He's, he's like, he the, takes himself very seriously. Yeah. Yes. Self-aggrandizing. Yeah. Very like when, when you talk about somebody having a big head, this yes. is like, as, and you get the impression that everything he says about whatever he's talking about is really bullshit. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Right, but case in point, and here's a great tie-in to uh, the killer. The killer gives mm-hmm. us in voiceover how to do this, 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 and this. Right, and he seems like an expert, like a believable expert. Yeah, and what he's getting away with it. So yeah. what, what we see, I think it's really toward the beginning of the film, and it's really kind of setting up the tone of the film is him going in length about having to weight down a body when you throw it into water mm-hmm. and he knows all the formulas if it's a child he needs to be twice but yeah. midgets his words not mine they're heavier so they only require this but older people their bones are so porous and then every time he dumps someone into the river or the the, yeah. the quarry yeah it never goes right. <laughs> no. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Similar to, to our killer, and right? Then, right? And then toward the end, I guess the quarry where we have seen him dump, I don't know, 30 bodies yeah. throughout the course of the movie is emptied. And now all yes. of the bones and skeletons. So he's visible. got the film crew down there. Get rid of those legs. Get rid of that skull. <laughs> and I'm I'm laughing. I mean, it, I appreciate the humor of this film very, very much. I do to an extent. It's this is a. I think this is a tough film. I I'm okay. So I I mentioned I saw it in the '90s. I feel like I remember it being presented as one of those. I'm pretty sure it was. I went to this video store in the town where I went to college. You know, one of those small mom and pop places, but they often had like you know staff selections wall, and mm-hmm. I think they had a lot of early Criterion collection stuff. And, they, and I remember this being one of those films that was kind of featured there and there was a little blurb and, you know, talking about the extreme level and how it inspired Quentin Tarantino and many people kind of saw it as this I get that. precursor to Natural Born Killers. Apparently he, you know, praised this film um, so highly when he saw it at festivals in 92 or whatever and people saw it anyway. So like, oh, I got to see this. And I remember being like shocked to a certain extent because mm-hmm. this is, Look, I mean, the kills are one. There's thing. one shocking, shocking scene. I know we'll get to it, but yeah. otherwise, I wasn't shocked much. Well, that's but that's it, and it's, well, it, that's part of it. Part is the nonchalance of it all, mm-hmm. and it's a relentless nonchalance, and it is just like hitting you over the head over and over and over again with these kills and his nonchalant setup and how like flippant he is about the whole thing, and. 
there's a humor to it initially for me, but it almost deadens me to it. And I think the film is trying to do that. I, I think it's trying to mm-hmm. make me very uncomfortable with yeah. my, my reaction to violence and how, like, even I might have thought it was funny at the beginning of the Understood. film. Mm-hmm. And how, like, okay, you think that's funny? We'll ratchet it up a bit. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. We'll keep. Now we're going to do it in this really aggressive, mean spirited, terrible, yeah. terrifying way. And I'm going to uh, get the film crew to give in to the violence yes. as well. Yeah. And that part is a turn in the movie I think. Um, What's the we're talking about a, a gang rape scene. Yes. Was that before or after they kill the kid? That that's after. after. Okay that's so that's to after. me was that's the first time. Oh that was oh, it. Yeah. yeah. I see what we're doing here. And then the film crew is doing their job. How many children have you killed? Oh, yeah. not, not very many uh, they're very unpredictable. Three or four I think this last. is my third. While he's suffocating yeah. the boy it's just this nonchalant conversation yeah. of him at work quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. It's it's tough because at the beginning you're right. You you kind of laugh and then there's this these meta moments where he runs into another film crew, <laughs> an was, assassin, uh, that, which that makes you kind of giggle. To me. Yeah, yeah, because you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. There's a bunch of assassins out there with <laughs> it film is, crews. There is like, an absurd level to it. Yeah, and, and it is like, what are we fascinated by? What are people making yes. movies about? And this was before true crime was even what right. it is now. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like we are obsessed but with this stuff. I think David nails it when he says they keep ramping it up yeah. so by the end you're almost grossed out with yourself <sighs> like how could I even laugh at any of this because right. this guy really is a killer and they keep reminding you like as soon as he becomes human that he does something terrible yeah. like he's, he's kind of becoming this guy because you're right he, there's something affable about him Yeah, he's kind of like you know, even yeah. though he's full of shit, you're kind of right. like, well, he's still kind of funny. And, right. Yeah. But then he'll do something to remind you that he's so inhuman. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, you, that you're like, how could I have thought for a second that I liked I this guy? He's the kind of guy you hang out with a bar for about half an hour. Yes. And then you're... And then you have to And then you're done. lucky if you're done, because he's right. going to kill you in the alley if <laughs> exactly. not. Oh, my God. If he thinks so, you have money But by the pocket. end, it's almost gross. And then... Can I can I spoil the ending? Of course. Yeah. So then they all die. Yeah. Because how else is it going to end? Yeah. Because they're terrible people that are clearly doing terrible things. Yeah. And he goes to prison and escapes, and then at the end, like I said, he, they go to his hideout and they all die. Mm-hmm. And you see them kind of running from the camera. And yeah. It's very another meta kind of moment of the camera falling and yeah. the guy running away and then falling. And, yeah. And that's the last of it. Yeah. But. It got so gross and so over the top. Yeah. There's no other place it could have gone. I know. On one level, I, I listen, I, I, I totally respect the right of them to make this kind of film. Yeah. And I think the message that I see as the, as the main message, the like, get ourselves to think about our relationship to violence and depictions of violence and what it, how it plays out and what it is that we're getting out of it as audiences or filmmakers for that matter or participants in it. I think that's an important thing to shine a light on, but it is such a discomforting experience. Mm -hmm. Do I have to go through it in that way? Does anybody have to go through it in that way? The, you know, I think the gang rape scene in particular for me is rough is about as tough. And yes, I mean, it just made me upset Stomach turned. I couldn't go to sleep that night. Like that was, mm-hmm. and, and I chose to watch the it at the or, end of the night. And or the other night, the the, the other night, it, it bothered you that much. Oh, it just, it, okay. yeah, no, it was, it was just upsetting. Clockwork Orange, we've done on the show. We talk about the yeah. rape, rape scene there. That is the territory, and I don't know if it's a, an American notion 
Uh, I don't know how this was received in Belgium and France and Europe, yeah. that scene, but it is uh, particularly rough in its nonchalantness yeah. during it, which yeah. is the same yeah. criticism I would give to Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, yeah. which means that it's designed to be that way on purpose to mm-hmm. invoke a feeling. Right. Because he talks through the whole thing, and this is where the film crew oh, gets and involved. Laughing because they gang, yeah, they gang raper, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's very visible. And then at the end, they're all laying there. Uh, what and was she's, on her stomach? She's violently gutted. She's been gutted. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. it took me a second to realize yeah. that um, because at first you think, oh, they spilled something on her, and then you're like, oh no, my god, no, that, her that's her guts. Yeah. So they then they violently kill her, and her lover, husband, whatever, is yeah. in the sink. With yeah. his throat really grossly, Cut and they off. actually show it, yeah. you know, where, where before that it's not as gory. And right. so that is definitely the climax of the gore. Yeah. And it's like, see, they really are terrible people. Don't get confused because they were partying well, before that. You know, that's a good point. It, it makes it impossible. I think before right. then I was even feeling it. But you're right. I mean, like you cannot you would like to think you cannot. The difference in perspective that I have now watching it is like a 40 mm-hmm. something year old guy who mm-hmm. has spent a long a long part of his life watching a lot of movies, thinking about the stories we tell, thinking about the ramifications of those stories, thinking through, you know, like, again, I see it very differently. Like the fact that it could just incite the feelings that I it felt back in the 90s was like an accomplishment enough. Like, oh, you yeah. provoked that kind of response in me. Wow. Like, that's amazing. Here I still am left questioning, like, is this worth it? It's very much in the same category. I don't know if, I think Joe's seen it. I don't know if you ever have, Meredith, this mm. film called Funny Games. There was actually, mm. there's a, a European version, I want to say, oh my God, it's Michael Haneke as the filmmaker. I, do you know what I'm talking I about? I know the, I know the film. I have not. We There's about also this a an American version. He remade his oh. own film uh-huh. here in the, uh, for the U.S. audience with Naomi Watts and I think oh. it was Michael Pitt. Uh, anyway, but it's very confrontational. It's these people. It's a home invasion film oh. and they get very like, actively breaking the fourth wall talking about what they're going to do and why the audience might revel in these things or Mm. you know like what it is the audience wants to see um and i think it's still it's worth provoking us at times i just don't know if i needed to go as far as i did in this one i don't i don't think i'm ever going to want to watch this again (laughs) i certainly wouldn't um I get what they wanted to do, but this I'm is a with, party movie. But I'm oh, with God, no. Um, but I'm <laughs> this with David. Measure, like, uh, it's the worst party, party movie ever. Yeah, I, I'm with David. I never, I didn't need to see this. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> but I certainly don't want to watch it ever again. But um, th- then it gets you thinking about like how how. It's easier for me to watch the killer, right? right. Where he is killing people, yeah. and there, and there's some a level of graphicness mm-hmm. to so, some of what you're seeing, and I'm okay with it. And there's like an entertainment, and why doesn't it upset me as much? And well, because it can be used yeah. for entertainment, and I do like stories that are told about human and mortality. It, it does make you think. So in that sense, I hear what you're saying. It does make you really think about your relationship to violence and your relationship to like how we almost maybe even before it's time how we kind of uh, idealize these these killers these serial killers especially because like serial killing is like i don't know one percent of all murder or something maybe even smaller i know what you're saying but but we kind of grossly put them on these pedestals and make tons of stories it's so aberrant right i mean partly because you're right like 
there's enough of us, right? Seven right. plus billion pe- <laughs> that we have enough. <laughs> like, even if only one in every billion of us, mm-hmm. we got seven of them, you know, but no, that's not, you know, we're, we're bigger than that in terms of uh, right. the frequency. It is fascinating. I totally get it. And you know what? Actually, when we had, oh gosh, who was it? Um, oh no, it wasn't even on the show, but it was a guest of the show, Emily. Uh, last time I was uh, at my book club meeting and she, and she was there, we were talking about, she was saying, and I think this is, I, I love this theory and, and I, I wonder if people have tested this, but the reason why women respond to true crime mm. in, in higher numbers than men has to do with women. There's a practical dimension to understanding what, how the ways that evil men think mm. and that, you know, you're constantly, you're living in a world where evil men do tend to target women as their victims much more frequently than men so men find it less practical to be tracking it's like let those evil dudes do what they want stay away from me but women have to i mean because they're the victims in in so many of those domestic situations so many of those yeah and in this film too i like i like to remind myself though that you can't rationalize irrationality no if that makes sense no it does and and sometimes even just hearing about it like you, you can be fooled into, <laughs> right? no, you can be fooled right? into thinking like, oh, you'd be able to predict that. But then you pick it apart and you're like, no, you're that's like, like somebody had a mental crazy. break. There's no yeah. reason from to go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And that person got there because they had this, you know, right. problem. Yeah. And and yeah. like Benoit, he's nuts. Yeah. yeah like well, he's so okay with all the violence and everything. Yeah. Like as a person, he really is a serial killer. He's got 30 bodies in a trench and... Right. What about when he goes to the, with the film crew, to the older lady's home and then shouts at her to where she has like a heart episode. Yeah. uh, Y'all didn't see it, but when I came in, I saw this prescription that she had for heart medication. Didn't have to even use a bullet. Now let's go find her money. Because he's not a serial, he's not a assassin. No. No, he's a serial killer who's basically a burglar that doesn't mind killing his victims. And he just wants their money. And because he's gone to an older person's house, he knows that the money's hidden under the bed. He knows, you know. And 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 he's very practical about it. Yeah. But he's also excited, you know, he yeah. sings and he, you know, it's this level of glee that mm. he's taking during all of his stuff, that pompous know-it-allness that never ends right? until he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't know anything. No. I enjoyed this movie. Uh, well, I'm glad you did. I really cannot use the term enjoyed. I, I again, I, I, thought I was, appreciate what it's doing. I, I understood what it was doing. I appreciate what it was doing. I thought the hilarious parts uh-huh. were hilarious, and I thought that the I hard did, to watch parts were hard to watch. I did think that some of it was a little dated. 1992, there were some things you could get away with that, like now, you, you really yeah. can't. Yeah, in my opinion, that yeah. the killer talks about. Yes. The main thing about my job is to go unnoticed, but in the 2023, that's impossible with the cameras. Right. And, uh, yeah. And he does Yeah. Best. And there's yeah. just certain things. So I need things to be a German tourist because nobody yeah. likes them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Stay away from your German tourist. Two similar films, but very different in their execution and, yeah. and, and probably their enjoyability. And I would say they're, they're similar in that they each have kind of elements of noir. I could give you that. Yeah. Yeah, that's one's black and white. One it has is the interesting narrator the, perspective, right? The fake documentary aspect of Man Bites Dog really always stood out to me, and I think you know that that was another. You know, Joe mentioned Spinal Tap. There definitely are just specific elements of it that do have that kind of feel, where you're kind of seeing somebody speak about their own life in a way, but then you're seeing the reality of it, and there's that kind of tension in the comedy that gets yeah. produced in some of that. So. Yeah, yeah, it's I'm, it, it's I'm an glad, interesting project. I'm glad you enjoyed it. 
but I <laughs> will never concerned. coming over. Uh, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to side with David on this one. That's not one I I, I would have ever picked or wanted to watch. Put and it this way. It's a after cr- watching it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I appreciate the cult classicness. Yes. Of this. I, I understand why it has achieved that status. Yes. Because the lead character is so uh, <laughs> demanding of your attention. Yes. Yeah. They picked a fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. Well, he's and he's one of the one of the yeah, directors, yeah. yeah. It, it's definitely a singular thing and I'm yeah. glad that we didn't start off No sequel for this. There movie. probably no. are actually. There probably were some films that tried to evoke this, but I don't think you need more than one of this. No. Um Agreed. so you know, I, I think this can stand for the film that does the kind of fake documentary of a serial killer that provokes this kind of like introspective feeling of how do we uh, get off on violence on mm-hmm. the screen this can exist as that I don't know that I need that anymore unless somebody figures out a way to do it where we don't incorporate quite as much discomfort I don't know yeah I don't know but well, do you need more than one of these? Well, this helped. This equilibrium helped Horus. <laughs> this part of the the show because I am enjoying this greatly. I'm not. It's interesting. I think on the nose, I got a little coconut at the beginning. I said I thought Meredith would have detected it. (laughs) But then as I drank it, I'm not getting the coconut as heavily in the flavor. Maybe it would have gone undetected just with a sip. I do think I'm getting definitely the rich, roasted, chocolatey elements of a stout here. Yeah. The cacao nibs of yeah, the listed yes. adjuncts are the ones that go. I can feel the most. Very thick. As we said, it was pouring thick. This mm-hmm. is like, it just sits in your mouth. You swallow and it's like kind of coating your mouth. Okay. Yeah. So the list of adjuncts from the bottle, Imperial style with shredded coconut, macaroon coconut, coconut macaroon cookies, Thai yeah. bananas and cacao nibs. Right. The bananas. This is not a beer that's asking you to do a scavenger hunt on your palate of every single one of yeah. these. The mm-hmm. recipe has made a delicious beer, but I'm not getting banana. I'm certainly getting coconut. The cookies, they yeah. put those in there to add uh, a, a depth, yeah. a richness, and that richness is in there, but it's not like, I'm, I'm eating a coconut cookie right now. I'm drinking one. No, yeah. that's not what's happening. This is a delicious beer. It mm. is good. I feel like we've done, I said how many, 10? No, it was blueberries. Yeah. I wonder if I Google, if I searched coconut, how many coconut things oh, we've done. Certainly a dozen at least at this <laughs> Point. I feel like we've had better coconut stouts than this one. But well, this that, one's very that's solid. my coconut is is always a favorite of mine. Um, the one that Oscar Blues does, that's a porter that has the coconut. And that's a very yeah. pronounced coconut flavor. Right. This is nice. It's a little more hidden away. I think, like you said, Joe, there's so much going on here. And it's just such a like rich, luscious beer in general. It's hard for any one note to like sing out. It's just a big, sort of rich, decadent, chocolatey kind of sip when, when I'm going in for it. Very so, lovely. Yeah. How We had the cruiser last week. I was going to say, I don't know what y'all thought about this, but I think it's lovely. Nice. It's light. It's a good lawnmower beer. I agree. There's not a weird aftertaste of any kind. It's very crisp and clean. Nice. Yeah. Real Ale, uh, we're, we're big fans, and, uh, and it was fun to have them once again, um, that we're, uh, you know, Sean actually did Oh, I do Real like Ale Real beer. Ale. I think I've been there. In Blanco, in Blanco Texas? Yeah. yeah, I went there. Nice. They've got this lovely little 
you got to walk upstairs. It's it's not yeah. accessible, at least unless they've redone it. But we walked up a flight of stairs, and then you you get this huge bar on the right side and tables on the left, mm-hmm. and you look down onto the brewing station. Oh, nice! And it's really cool. You get to see it all. And we didn't do the tour; we just drank. But mm-hmm. there you go. It was a lot of fun. Really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the earliest steps of my craft beer thing. Ooh, took a nice. trip up to Blanco to drink. So you've real been there, ale. yeah. But I bet they've. Added on since we were there. It was 10 years ago. And when I went, they were starting to do uh, whiskey, and I actually tried their whiskey, which was quite good. Some spirits. Yeah. I I don't know that I've had them. Diversification. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, quite an episode overall. Uh, we, we've, we've tackled some, you know, the, the latest uh, from a very uh, venerated filmmaker who known for his style, a very challenging film that mm-hmm. our that our listeners kind of threw at us that I think uh, we, we, we did a good job here pulling apart. But help us pull everything apart uh, because, you know, the conversation doesn't end here. You can follow us on so many other avenues, whether that be on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find us on our website, beerandamoviepodcast.com, for some nice curated lists of our episodes, as well as the link to our Tee Public store, where you can find various forms of merch. You can also join our chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Just request uh, an invite, and we'll, we'll get that to you, and you can join in the conversation. Um, we're going to extend this conversation ourselves on the Patreon-only after hours bonus episode please sign up at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast if you'd like to hear that as well we know you're listening on your favorite platform but please before you leave won't you rate us and leave a review we hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do, do, what it do. and put us out there as an option for more listeners you've just experienced another what assassinific and somewhat troubling episode mm-hmm. of beer in a movie until next time This is what it takes. My process is purely logistical. If I'm effective, if it's because of one simple fact, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Nice.